0: and welcome to Food of the Gods a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance in these gurus editions we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches nutritionists recovery scientists and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best This is part two of our conversation with Justin Sua, head of mental performance for the Tampa Bay Rays in Major League Baseball. He helps athletes to improve their mindsets and their decision-making skills because thinking better allows them to perform better. But Justin's advice isn't just for elite level athletes. His tips and life hacks apply to anyone who wants to calm their nerves, increase their focus, or just have a better relationship with those voices in their head. I want to talk to a little bit more about this failure business because I have been fascinated Look, I understand that the analytics people do not attach a statistical significance to strikeouts in the way that we watching the game do now. But I do know that emotionally, I grew up hearing stories about my grandpa, 656 plate appearances, 1950, the guy struck out 12 times in an entire year, 12 times. People do that in a weekend now. I know that when I grew up, if I struck out, I felt shame. I was upset with myself and it would mess me up for my next at bat. When you are striking out 150 times a year, like a lot of these guys are today, how do you handle the failure and be okay with it to get to come back for the next at bat and perform. And if the failure doesn't bother you at all to the point that you don't have to do anything to be ready for the next at bat, how are you doing that? Because both sides of it are fascinating to me.
1: Yes. You, uh, you, (laughs) uh, I will give you my observations and my guess. Okay. I don't know. I'm just gonna say, I don't know right off the bat. It is incredibly difficult. (laughs) And as one who sits on the bench, when they're walking in after a four strikeout day or a three strikeout day, I will say this, these are major league baseball players, highly competitive. The standard of excellence is incredibly high. You hit the nail on the head. They are absolutely frustrated, absolutely mad at themselves and or throwing at bats away. And I think it's still very difficult. I think the thing about striking out, my wife brought it up as she goes to the game, she goes, It seems like after you strike out and what, especially uh, Yankee Stadium, we're really close to the, we're really close, Tropicana Field, kind of close, but Boston, if you're familiar with Fenway, that's a long walk from the plate in in, in Oakland to the dugout. And she's like, wow, it seems like it's a walk of shame. Like you, you're like, you walk (laughs) back and everyone's looking at you, you just struck out and you go into the dugout and no one talks to you. Yes, you're frustrated, It's, it's angry. Now, in terms of my role and what we do here, there's a couple of things to take into consideration. Number one is I want to help the players identify, okay, you're mad, you're angry, and even after booting a ball or making a mistake, whatever it may be, how fast can you flush it? That's really, you're gonna get mad, you're gonna be angry, you might break a bat or break a helmet or whatever that happens. How do we not allow this failure to bleed into the field, to bleed into being a bad teammate, to bleed into your next at bat, where it just compounds, and not overcoming a mistake now compounds into another mistake. So what can we do to help you with that? Number two is I think another variable that helps with this are social norms. Now, for those who aren't familiar with social norms is, it's kind of like what is normalized, how you're supposed to act to a strikeout, how you're supposed to act to a certain things and, and different teams and different families and different organizations, we all have our social norms. There are certain families, and I'm going to come right back to this. Sorry if I'm getting long-winded. So there are certain people who get cut off on the street. And as a kid, you see your dad or your mom all of a sudden experiencing road rage. I can't believe this person. You're telling the driver who cut you off that they're number one or sticking in the middle of all these things. And your kids watch it. Wouldn't you know your child grows up and they don't create that habit. They copy it because they see what mom and dad did. There are other people, believe it or not who don't have that. They get cut off and they're like, okay, hey, maybe they're having a bad day. Oh, those people exist out there. And, <laughs> but that's just how it is. Now, with organizations, people are influenced by three things. And this is, uh, this is uh, marketing. Uh, this is mar- it comes from the marketing field. They want to do what the best do or the popular do. You see this in school. Imagine a high school. The social norms in high school are governed by what do the popular kids do? What do the popular kids in sports do and popular people in the industry do? They're going to have a big influence. So the popular, the many, what do the majority do? How do the majority respond to strikeouts? How do the majority respond to messing up? And then the close, how does my best friend respond? How does my best? And so teams can create this norm around strikeouts and so forth. And I think coaching staffs and I think front offices are now trying what you talked about the analytics behind it try they're trying emphasis on try with an asterisk next to it are to trying to explain the value of a strikeout and to see how not necessarily little value or whatever but so the player obviously these are competitive athletes some of them is in one ear and out the other it's like no don't tell me that it does it's it's not as bad because to me i don't work as hard as i do to strike out this much and so it's a combination of all these things it's still messy It's still hard. It's still difficult. Analytics has brought in a different view about it, as you know, and you see the strikeout numbers going up and and the pitching is changing as well. And so there's a lot of variables, but yes, I'll stay in my lane. My job is to help them bounce back as fast as they possibly can and how to reframe striking out.
0: So as kids, baseball players you all imagine being at the plate in the bottom of the ninth with two outs, the game on the line, 50,000 fans screaming their heads off. So in a way we've all grown up doing a visualization exercise for two outs, bottom of the ninth world series game seven. So is that visualization that they did as kids already a step in the right direction? And then how do you go further to prepare players for those super high pressure moments? Absolutely. You, I love what you said. It's so (laughs) funny when we visualize
1: you're literally visualizing probably the highest leverage point in a baseball game, World Series, bottom of the night, down by three, and <laughs> here's a child visualizing this, and then yeah. it's like, oh no, I can't. B-. they're not visualizing spring training, backfields, nobody's watching. <laughs> Every, no, oh count facing a rehab, low A pitchers, like no one does that. Everyone, is, No, no one does that, and so. I I think that is a form of visualization. As subtle and as almost silly as that is, that's what it looks like. And so we tell players and coaches and parents and families, hey, that what you just did there, continue to visualize. And not only visualize outcomes, but also visualize process. I think it's very easy to visualize winning the World Series, striking out the side, making the big play, doing the big uh, presentation, all those things that landing the flip or whatever it may be getting the straight A. But what we don't visualize is the process. You don't visualize yourself taking the ground balls with no one to watching. You don't visualize yourself hitting the ball off the tee in the cage moment after moment, seeing the right swing, the ideal swing over and over and over again. So that's another exercise that we do. Don't just visualize the outcome. The big moments visualize the tedious, Mundane, boring moments that nobody else is watching. So you can, because the same neurons fire whether you're you're doing it really or you're not. And so getting those mental reps over and over and over again. And another thing we emphasize with visualization is let's say you do strikeouts. Let's say you do get picked off at first. Let's say you do boot a ball or throw a ball away. You already experienced it. Instead of re-beating up on yourself by reliving it over and over again ruminating over it visualize yourself how you would have done it differently there's a, a mental trick called a peak end rule where the mind is going to remember how something ends it allocates more emotional resources to it and so like a movie you might you will watch a great movie great movie and it, with a terrible ending you're like, oh that movie's I, I, I hate that movie <laughs> just because the ending was bad everything else is great or a relationship an amazing relationship it was so good ended bad oh that person that the worst relationship ever and again That's the peak end rule, peak end rule, or, or it was something was terrible, but the ending was great. You're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. There's a lot of research on this. And so we can use that and leverage that to our benefit instead of beating up on yourself and visualizing yourself mess up over and over and over again, visualize how you're going to do it next time, how you should have done it. And then over and over again. So your brain turns down the emotionality of that experience and you can pull out the lessons from
0: it. So you can actually sort of erase a booted ground ball by imagining yourself properly fielding the ground ball and getting the throw off. It's like that confidence is success repeated idea. Yeah. So I wouldn't say erase. I don't
1: think I would, but I would say you can turn down the volume. volume. And I keep using that. I turn down the volume on the being triggered emotionally by it. You can turn down and you can pull out in order to pull out the lessons so that's what it really does. I don't think it, it... I think it's more encoded. Obviously, we won't forget. But I think it'll help you turn down the emotional volume so you can pull the lessons so you can use it to be better next time.
0: So sports is obviously very unpredictable. In baseball, day games, night games, rain, it's hot, it's cold, there's wind, the food is bad on the road, the mound's too steep, the mound's too flat, the outfield shape weird, the fans are mean, one guy has an air horn. You can go on like forever and forever. How do you... Teach athletes to really just focus on what they can control and just shut out the noise, the external forces that throw them off their game.
1: I think one of the most important things to do is to provide the data that you just said, because it's so unpredictable. There's so much nuance. There's so much uncertainty. And so if we can help players provide them with information of things that they could at least expect. I remember when we went into COVID. And we didn't know what that was going to be like. We didn't know what it was going to be like playing in an empty stadium. We didn't know what it was going to be like getting tested every day and being in isolation. On the We had no clue. But what we did is we created a premortem. Now, a premortem is simply planning for worst-case scenario, expecting it to happen, and then having to plan for it. The research behind this is called Implementation Intentions by Gabrielle Audigen, if-then-planning. And so it's basically... Identifying before it happens, saying, okay, we're going to go into Tropicana Field and there's going to be more fans in the stadium for the Yankees than for us in our own home stadium. Okay, we're going to go here and it's going to be really loud. They're going to be loud behind us. Uh, we're going to go here. It's going to be hot. We're going to go to Chicago in April. It's going to be snowing. And we're going to play here. It's going to be wet. We have a night game and then a travel and then a four o'clock game. And so, as you can see, all of the, the potential pitfalls to make excuses. So, we identify. This is what's all the the potential pitfalls that can derail our focus. Now, what are you going to do about it? If this happens, okay. What are you going to do about it? If this happens, what are you going to do about it? If this happens now, the only way you can do that is if you teach them how their focus works and the analogy that I love to use is keep it simple. Another thing I've learned about people is they don't need to know the jargon. They don't care about studies. They don't care about, I don't need to know the psychological term. Just, I want to dominate and just give me tools to, to do that. But the analogy that I love is a flashlight. Your attention is like a flashlight. Whenever you point your flashlight to or your attention to, you give power to it, you give power to what you focus on. And so your flashlight needs to learn, you need to train where to point it. And so if you're not prepared for that air horn behind you and for them shouting your name, your attention is gonna go there and it's gonna be focused on that and it's going to trigger certain anger and emotions. But if you have a plan for it, you can say, Oh, I knew my flashlight was going to go there. Now I'm going to bring it, my flashlight back to an anchor. It could be your breathing. It can be a physiological thing. It could be this pitch. It could be a mental cue. It could be see the ball up. It could whatever you want it to be. And so the key principle is identify what can derail your focus and then have a plan for where you want to put your focus. When your focus and attention starts to get off track, bring it right back. It's distracting. Bring it right back. This is why I like mindfulness meditation so much is because when you meditate and you focus on your breathing, that's what all the practice is. You focus on your breath. When the mind begins to wander, you notice it, gently bring it back to your breath. Starts to wander, gently bring it back to your breath. And a lot of people try to do it in quiet spots. With our players, the ones who practice it, we do it in a loud clubhouse. They do it in the stadium because it's not realistic for a professional athlete to do it in the perfect, quiet setting. You want to do it with tons of noise around, audible, visual, just so you want to be able to do it right there. And so those are some of the strategies that we do with some of the players.
0: It's funny. I used to take the pre-COVID, I used to take the bus into New York City a lot from New Jersey. And the bus from Jersey to New York is like a terrible experience. People on top of you, people standing, people falling in the aisle, horns honking and breaking and you get sick. So I used to do my meditations on the bus to just take me away from the bus experience. Perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. Funny. You also mentioned COVID. So how much of a mental skills challenge was COVID?
1: Oh it's my COVID. gosh. Oh my goodness. It's a beast. It's a beast. There's so going back to uncertainty where there is uncertainty, negativity and doubt fill the void and COVID presented so much uncertainty. We had never done this before. There was no one, any of us could have called to say, how did you overcome this? How did, no one could give us advice, nobody. And not just us, our team, all of us in the world. And so that was very, very difficult. It was a constant conversation of checking in on each other, checking in our families, establishing routines, identifying what we can control, trying to measure perceived progression. If you don't feel like you're progressing when you're in in isolation by yourself, away from family, trying to strengthen those bonds with those loved ones, if you're not around them, it was and is still very difficult. It it was a mess. And then wondering about your health. It's hard to play a game at the highest level when you're worried about, am I gonna get sick? My own livelihood, my own safety, there's something called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the lowest, most important fundamental pillar is safety, is do I feel safe? I can't optimize if I don't even feel safe, if my health is in jeopardy. And so that was a hurdle that all of us had to overcome and continue to overcome because we still get tested. We still, there's still masks around and mandates and so forth. And so it was, uh, especially 2020, it was madness. It was madness.
0: So baseball players, 162 games a year. It's a, it's a really long haul. And One of the things that you've mentioned a few times that is very important is a routine. And this is really important for people in their everyday lives as well. You know, I go to bed at this time, I get up at this time, I work out here. It's super important for kids, but then always something throws a wrench into the works and your routine blows up in front of your face and a lot of people lose it. What do you recommend for folks who have that nice routine and then the boat just really gets rocked? Yes.
1: I think a couple of principles when it comes down to routines is, the benefits of a routine, as you mentioned, is it gives you a sense of control. It helps you focus on the things that matter. And I think some variables or some keys to take into consideration, if someone's listened to this and they're like, okay, I want to cultivate a routine. The first thing to take into consideration is you want to build your routines and we can use routines and habits. We'll just say routines in, around things that matter to you. So if health and fitness is important to you, you should build some routines around working out eating nutrition sleep and, and nutrition if baseball is important to you build routines in your day ar- around that so that's very important another thing is to mentally you have to build a routine that is adaptable something that you can do other you don't want it so rigid and so tight that you can't do it in a different time zone you can't do it When you're sleeping at your grandma's house or you're visiting a friend's house, you want to create some space in there for flexibility. Now, a corollary point to that is you want to keep it simple. How simple can you make this routine to where you can execute it? Because to your point, we have delayed games, we have double headers, we have night games, we have day games. And the more rigid your routine is and the harder it is to operationalize it, the more you're frustrated and you're already going to be in a hole going into the game. And so another component to it is to know that if you do miss to forgive yourself, if mm-hmm. you do miss to be able to say, okay, I'll pick it up tomorrow. And let me just focus on what I can control. I might not have been able to do all of my routine. I might not have been able to do it the way I normally like to do it, but Hey, at least I was able to do something, understanding that something is better than nothing. If you usually like to go to your gym or, or whatever, And you can, Hey, at least I did push ups and air squats (laughs) here in my room And, and catching yourself winning. And that's the most important thing. So those are some basic principles where I see people struggle is it's incredibly rigid. It's incredibly complex. They beat up on themselves when they don't do it. And another thing is a routine. You don't want it to turn into something superstitious to where if I don't do this, oh, that means my whole day is ruined. Oh, now that I'm not going to play well because I didn't, you have my coffee and my chicken and I didn't do it. It's like, no, like, no, no, it's like, no, it's, it's more of a thing to help you get prepared and not a superstition that if you don't do it, then all of a sudden performance is going to struggle. That's that, that mindset and approach has to be just worked and teased out.
0: What about sort of the flip side of it? Like 162 games is a long haul and maintaining that routine for that duration of time could be kind of exhausting. How do you, what advice do you give to guys on days where they just don't feel like it? They don't feel so good. They don't feel like working hard, but they have to because it's in the middle of the 162.
1: Yes. So there's a couple of things. So a couple of ways I want to answer this. Number one is... Your routine can change. I think that is unbelievably important to understand because circumstances change. You're just like our purpose changes. Your routine can change just like the weather changes. You're going to wear different clothes depending on the weather, right? Summer weather, certain clothes. Winter weather, certain clothes. Obviously, snow weather. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so all, all of that, that matters. And so knowing that your routine can change I have personally talked to veterans who've been playing the game for 10, 15 years who tell me how their routine was at the beginning of their career versus the end of their career, their body changed. Things are different from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. They understand that, Hey, I don't need to grind it out. Like I did before my spring training routine is different than my September routine. My September routine is different than my April routine. And so number one, understand it changes. I see this all the time where I see people struggle is they try to maintain and keep that same routine despite the changing circumstance, despite their body is changing. And so that's number one, it can change. Number two, have you ever experienced this where you're driving home? Let's say you're going from one destination to your house and you have made that drive hundreds of times. You're driving there and all of a sudden you arrive at your house and you're like, how did I get here? And you, you made these turns, your mind, you were talking on the phone, you're listening to music, listening, and you get so lost into something else that you got there. This is called highway hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Now what highway hypnosis is, you've done that routine, that route so many times that your body, your mind doesn't have to activate the prefrontal cortex. There's no decision-making that needs to happen. It just boop flips into the different part of your brain so that it can use those resources to talk on the phone, listen to music, do other things. It automized that route. Routines are the same way. You can get into a routine so much to where it's automized. It doesn't take any willpower. It doesn't take any effort. There are some things that you do with a person listening to this. Let's take a look at your morning routine. The way you brush your teeth, comb your hair, put deodorant on, put your clothes on you don't have to think about it. You just do it. It's automized. You might have a night routine and people are like, wow, you're so disciplined. I can't believe you eat so healthy and you work out so much. And you're like, it's not even hard. It's the routine. It's just automized. And so a lot of these pro major league athletes, they have automized routines to the point to where it doesn't take any willpower, very little effort, very little energy. They just do it because They've just done it for so long.
0: It's funny. I get that. People ask me that all the time, especially since COVID, like I, and I really doubled down on it. I've taken like five total days off since March 7th, 2020, and they were forced because I had to like go somewhere. I get up in the morning. I do the brush the teeth routine. I put on my gym clothes. I work out. It's how I start my day. And when people ask me, how are you motivated to work out every day? I almost feel bad telling them that it doesn't require motivation. It's almost like, I feel like I'm bragging saying, no, I just get up and do it. It's how I start my day, but it is. You are absolutely right. There
1: is a difference between motivation and discipline. Some people, they need to motivate themselves to do it and find tactics to find motivation. And a lot of times it's okay. I'm not, I don't. And in some cases, not in your case, but in some cases, like, I don't care that I'm not motivated. I'm disciplined. I'm just going to do it. And then if you keep doing it, it clicks in just an automized effort. It's almost effortless. You're like, I'm not even, it's like, Oh, you're so disciplined. And you're like, and you're so motivated. How do you do? You're like, it's just what I do. I love it. I enjoy it. It's part of my routine. I'm sorry. I'm going to sound the way I sound, but I don't even like have to think about that. And that's where, that's where the magic happens. And that's why I, we always talk about the more you do something the more likely you are to do it again. And you just create just reps, reps, reps. And your brain's like, oh, okay, we work out. This is what we do, this is what we do. Now it's locked in, it's automized, it's in there. And now it's just, you just do it it. But a lot of people give up before it's automized, before it's solidified. And so that's where it's, it gets difficult.
0: It's funny though, because there are negatives to it as well, because on the days I work out and then I eat my breakfast, on the days I work don't work out, if I have to go somewhere, I'm like, oh but wait a minute, I can't eat anything. I didn't work out. And then I'm like, Lindsay, eat. You can eat something. It's fine. <laughs> you know? So but yeah. I have to I have to have this conversation with myself and say it's okay to, to eat the shake. Have the shake. Okay.
1: <laughs> You brought up a great point. A lot of times you said it. I have this conversation with myself. That is such a and I hope listeners listen. <laughs> I want to highlight that. People don't do that. Axiom to remember that is stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. We tell lies to ourselves all the time. Oh no, I can't eat because I didn't work out. And you're like, Lindsay, wait, no, 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 no. Of course you can eat. <laughs> and and your brain's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can. Where an average I almost an average person but some people will the listen oh yeah you're right i can't eat i can't eat and you're like no so that's a powerful exercise and strategy you just did organically i don't know if you read it i don't know if you're taught it you probably weren't but it's something you do naturally that people actually have to learn oh i don't need to listen to myself talk to myself and that can help you nudge you towards optimizing behaviors
0: How do you, as a human, you're not playing professional sports right now, you're working in professional sports, but you're busy schedule. How do you incorporate meditation into your schedule on a daily basis? Yeah, well, I meditate. And here's another
1: thing too, is I'm going to answer that question. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I don't. And for me, I know that everybody I work with is completely different. Some people like meditation, some people don't. Some people like journaling, some people don't. And there are certain strategies that I will suggest that I personally don't do, not because I don't believe in it, but it doesn't, I just don't, it's not my personality. It's just just not how I do it. And they can get tweaked and be changed. Uh, When I do meditation, the moments I happen to do it today, by the way, I'll do like a 60 second uh, Headspace app. Sometimes I'll just listen to music. I'll just sit up and focus on the sound. Sometimes I'll focus on my breath. Sometimes I won't do it and i just i won't do it it's not a normal every single day practice some days i'll do it 10 days in a row and some days i won't and so that's how i view it journal i journal every single day some people don't and so that's where i'm very uh i'm open and i'll test things out i if i do meditate i'm more of the shorter meditation person i don't like the 20 minute meditation some people love the 40 minute meditation and so i adapt it for my needs and i'll for me, meditation is a cognitive scrub. Detect- if I'm really stressed, I have a lot going on, and I can feel myself getting pulled, that's an indicator to me hey, pump the brakes, meditate, be where your feet are, and get after it. For me, it's more of a prescription reactionary thing, a reactive thing versus a proactive thing. It's not, for me, it's more of a prescription pill than a vitamin that I take every day, that I exercise every day. I usually meditate when I'm incredibly stressed out.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm not a big journaler, but you might even know, do you know Paul Winsper from Under Armour? Um, I've he's, heard one of the of, he's one of their performance yes. guys. He told me this, I'm not a huge journaler, but I'm a big list maker. And if I go to bed thinking about all the things I have to do tomorrow, I'm not going to sleep. My brain will race even after I do my melted ice cream cone meditation. So I have a little pad by the side of my bed. And if I just write down, these are the things I have to do when I wake up. It was a suggestion that Paul made. You park those things on paper so your brain doesn't have to think about them anymore and you can kind of let it go and you go to sleep and it totally works. And it's not journaling, but it is getting it out of your head and onto the page so you can move on with your life. We do that with athletes. So if a
1: guy comes in with a lot of off-field, so that's that's a that's a separation technique and the neuroscience behind it is open loops and closed loops. Anytime there's unfinished business that you is on your mind, and that unfinished business could be, I gotta text my mom. I got to do the dishes. I got to fold the laundry. Those are all open loops, things that need to be done. They take up space in your mind. And when players come in, maybe it's, I had an argument with my significant other, my child is sick or whatever. There is a player. We haven't write it down, write it down. So you can look again, get it out of your mind. Then you put it in your locker. Just like you're changing your clothes. You're changing your mindset. You put it in your locket, signifying to your brain, not it's out of sight out of mind. It's I'll come back to this after the game. And so that is a great exercise, great technique. And that's so cool that you use that in that context. Very uh, something that we use all the time to help athletes separate off field versus on field stuff.
0: So because this is food of the gods podcast, I just want to ask you one big overarching question. How much is our mental health tied to our nutrition? I, again,
1: want to stay in my lane, but it is huge sleep and nutrition sleep and nutrition, which is why in my role, the collaboration with our dietitian or a nutritionist and our athletic trainers or sport, huge. And so we constantly are talking, I see our nutritionist or, or sports dietitian all the time, trying to help with players, it helps with focus, it helps with sleep, it just, it's incredibly, incredibly important. And I'm gonna stop now because then I'm gonna get into a lane that I've known nothing about. So I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to quantify or tell you why it is important, for brain health and mental clarity and focus. I don't know that lane, but it is unbelievably important to the point to where I will ask players, Hey, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you sleeping? Oh, okay, good. You're working with you fueling for optimization. Oh yes. I don't go any deeper because that's not my lane, but it is unbelievably important.
0: So cool. Justin, this is such a cool conversation. I want people to, to be able to follow you. What are your, your uh, social media handles? Where can folks find you? Yeah.
1: At Justin Sua, J-U-S-T-I-N-S-U-A. J-U-S-T-A-N-S-U-A, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I'm, I'm same handle. And So yeah, you'll find me there.
0: This has been really awesome. I could literally talk to you for hours and hours and hours. I really appreciate. I'm going to go do some of the things that you're talking about. I hope everybody else does too. And just thank you so much for, for joining us and uh, enjoy your off season.
1: Thanks so much, Lindsay. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks so much to Justin for joining us on Food of the Gods. For more great advice and information on how to improve your mindset, follow Justin on Instagram and Twitter at, at Justin Sua. You can also follow The Rays on both Instagram and Twitter at, at @raysbaseball. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at podcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.